Today on Basic, Amy Schumer. I got on Last Comic Standing just a couple of years into doing stand-up. I was just so happy to be anywhere. I had no vision or goals for myself. I remember coming into the Comedy Central offices all the time. Everybody thinks they're ready to have a TV show in their name, but very few people really are. I really love making like a big, dumb comedy. I think you can't do a roast in 2022. Not like a big Comedy Central one. Some of these jokes can be really harmful. I still think what's funny is funny. I'm not bothered by cancel culture or whatever. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic. I'm Doug Herzog, living proof that one day everyone will have their own podcast. And I'm Jen Chaney, a TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and I'm living proof that one day everyone will have a podcast with Doug Herzog. Basic is the official podcast of the unofficial history of basic cable television. From MTV to Mad Men, Jen and I explore the shows, networks, personalities, and milestone moments that define TV in the cable era. Today, our guest is the incredibly talented Amy Schumer. So like a lot of people, I first noticed Amy from her stand-up work, but it was her Emmy-winning sketch show Inside Amy Schumer that really thrust her into the spotlight and into stardom. And we will definitely be talking about her work on that series. She also has a career in film, having written and starred in Trainwreck and films like uh, I Feel Pretty uh, and The Humans. And of course, she recently co-hosted the Oscars, but we taped this interview before that. She also has a new series called Life and Beth that's on Hulu, which she created, co-wrote and co-directed. And we are really, really excited to have Amy Schumer with us on this episode of Basic. And after our conversation with Amy, come on back and Doug and I will break it all down. We start off by um, asking everybody, um, do they remember when they first got cable television? And, uh, you know, were you excited about it? I don't remember getting cable. I just remember that we always had cable. Like, I don't remember that being an addition. Like, I remember growing up with HBO. and uh, So you kind of remember always having it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to be a privileged person. <laughs> no, no. That Actually, that means you're a young person. There's a whole generation who doesn't know about life before cable. So that just makes you younger than us. Were there things you really liked to watch on cable when you were younger? Yeah. Like I loved TV. I was a big TV watcher. I watched a lot of The Muppet Show, a lot of Fraggle Rock. Mm. Then I, you know, I watched a lot of Donna Reed a lot of I Love Lucy, Laverne and Shirley, Kate and Allie. Like, I loved the shows with the female leads. So as a Maryland native and resident, I have to ask you about your time at Towson University. You studied acting there, is that right? Yes. When you were there, were you thinking, like, I want to be a stage actress, a movie actress, or, or were you beginning to think about stand-up at that point, or was that not even in the picture? I was majoring in theater, so I was doing plays, but no, I didn't try stand-up until after college. It never occurred to me. So what was your goal at the time when you were in college? Like, what did you think you were going to do when you graduated? Um, maybe act. I just I just knew I wanted to perform. I wasn't really sure what it would lead to, but I knew that there was nothing else I wanted to study. And what was it that got you to jump onto stage as a stand-up? Tell us about that. So I tried, you know, like you go through backstage magazine, newspaper, and like just any auditions like this, you know, publication in New York. And, and one of the things that they swindle you with is uh, improv groups. You can kind of pay to join and somebody will take $50 from you a month. And so I tried that and a couple of the other people in the group were doing stand up, and I went and saw them perform. And I just thought, I think I'd like this. And I, I think I'd like to not have to depend on the other people in the troupe. How do you go about like writing a set of comedy if it's something you've never done before? 
Like, how did you even begin? I think by just like making myself do it. Like there was just one day where if you bring four people, you can perform. And so I, I was like, oh, I, I could get four people there. So I had a couple hours to prepare and I just kind of did my best to write up a set list. And, and uh, unfortunately I have a tape of that. <laughs> you had some pretty quick success though. So you ended up doing some stuff on Comedy Central stand-up shows, then ultimately some network exposure on uh, Last Comic Standing, right? That's right. Yeah. I got on Last Comic Standing just a couple of years into doing stand-up. And from that kind of became a headliner quickly, too quickly. And then, you know, you kind of get a year out of that. And then I went back to opening for other comedians on the road. What do you mean too quickly? I just, you know, you're, I didn't have that much time. If you're going to headline, you need to have a good hour to show the audience. And I'd only been doing stand-up for like two or three years. So I probably had 10 minutes but I kind of got away with it. And then I went back to opening for David Tell or Jim Norton for a couple of years in the feature spot. Now you were on a Comedy Central show called Reality Bites Back, which I believe was like a reality competition show, but it was also kind of a spoof of reality shows. Am I describing that correctly? Yeah, it was during the writer's strike. Oh, Yeah, it was a reality show where we kind of spoofed reality shows and competed against each other. Tiffany Haddish was on there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kurt Kreischer, Donnell Rawlings. Yeah, that's right. Theo Vaughn. I think Mike Lee and Black was the host, mm-hmm. right? That's right, yeah. It is very hard to find clips from it, though, because I was trying. And I found like a commercial for it, but I couldn't find much else. But I think you did pretty well. Weren't you like the runner-up in the competition? Yeah, I got second place on that reality show. (laughs) Well, more importantly, I think that's certainly from my standpoint, you came to Comedy Central's attention, you know, through that show. It wasn't, with all due respect to you and all your colleagues, wasn't a great show. Certainly not. I think you were the best thing on it at the time. At least that's what I thought. That's what I told myself. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that started a pretty long relationship with Comedy Central, including getting, I think, your own half hour, right? Yes, I got a half hour. And then I feel like I did the Sheen Roast and then I got an hour special and then I found out my pilot was picked up inside Amy Schumer was picked up and then, yeah, got to go on to make four seasons, soon to be five seasons of that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. Had you pitched other TV shows prior to pitching Inside Amy Schumer? I had pitched one television show and... It was like, I think maybe it was CBS or somebody like bought a pilot, but it never went further than that. But I'd only been through like this pitching exercise once before. Was the show that you pitched to CBS, was that like a sketch show or was that like a script? It was a scripted show. I think it was maybe about a comedian or I don't know. They were right to not pick it up. Everybody thinks they're ready to have a TV show in their name, but very few people really are. It's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of work. Right. So Comedy Central was, you know, pretty in a pretty good place when you were starting up the ladder there, but it still wasn't network television. In your mind, did you want to be on Comedy Central and cable? Did you want to be on network or did you just want to be somewhere? I was just so happy to be anywhere. I had no vision or goals for myself. I think I'm very much the same way. Like I just make smaller goals and put them in front of myself. But I never had a long-term plan. I was trying to get on anywhere. And I felt like so lucky to have been embraced by you and Kent Alterman and Joanne Grigioni and Ann Harris were the people who like kind of went to bat for me and gave me a real shot. So do you remember pitching Inside Amy Schumer or how did that process go? 
I, I mean, I remember coming into the Comedy Central offices all the time and I felt very comfortable there and it had a really good energy and it was an exciting time to be there. And I felt like embraced and it was like they were down to develop something with me. And I think Chelsea lately was pretty big at the time. So it was kind of like everybody's always trying to make their version of a thing. But we decided before we started shooting that we wanted to make our own thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I was thinking about this as I was preparing to talk to you that like in the early 2010s, there was just a ton of sketch comedy shows that became really successful, like yours, Key and Peele, Portlandia, Drunk History, Documentary Now. And a lot of those shows were either on Comedy Central or IFC, and clearly they had an interest in them. But why do you think that became so big in that period of time? Sketch comedy in general? Yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. I don't know. I definitely loved all those shows you mentioned and Curl Show. Mm-hmm. I really don't know what to attribute that to. I mean, I have a theory. Okay. You can tell me if this sounds like bullshit. Okay. Because of the internet, a great way, obviously, to promote your shows and your brand is to have clips that go viral and sketches are very clippable. Right. I don't know if that was something that was on people's minds or not. But yeah, that was- definitely. I think that's completely right. Yeah. It was so easy to share a video that people loved. So I think, I don't know how many viewers we actually got, but I think so many people saw a couple videos that went viral. Yeah, that all tracks. You know, we at Comedy Central started to put some stuff on YouTube, which was it's hard to remember when YouTube was kind of a new thing and sort of experiment <laughs> with that. And I remember one day talking to a, a young guy I'd met and he told me he was a fan of Comedy Central. I said, oh, what do you watch? And he reeled off a list of the shows, including Amy's. And I said, well, wait, you don't watch Key and Peele? And he said, Key and Peele? I thought that was a YouTube show. <laughs> and that's when I knew when we were doing it. Right. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think actually my show was during the time where people were starting to be like, oh, we better get our own streaming thing and we better drive traffic to our own website. So I think we were only allowed to post two videos on YouTube a season toward the end, which I think did hurt how many people saw us. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
You've said in the past, the episode that you famously did that parody of 12 Angry Men, it made you more proud than anything else you had worked on. I'm just wondering if you still feel that way. Because I mean, that was such a standout sketch. And well, it wasn't even just a sketch, it was a whole episode. Yeah, that was, I'm still so proud of that. And it just really encouraged me to do things that I was afraid of, or that I thought might be hard or out of my reach. It was such a confidence booster and so encouraging to be making a comment. And also, I think it was exciting for our whole team, you know, our cinematographer, Jonathan Fermansky and Ryan McFall, who I directed with. It was just like, okay, we've all been making this kind of fun, at times junky show. Also some stuff that was really beautiful cinematically, but like, can we accomplish this kind of bigger feat? And it was, people liked it and responded to it. Such an added bonus that I really didn't foresee. <laughs> but the things that like I just directed my own show and wrote and created that and and that's a narrative on Hulu called Life and Beth and I think it's right up there for me with you know how proud I am because that's another thing just taking on something that seems kind of insurmountable and from scratch and making it is exciting. Well, not from scratch. I mean, it was a remake of 12 Angry Men, but. <laughs> I, I, I honestly remember how excited you were when you guys delivered that one. It was pretty awesome. Oh yeah. Thanks. I'm also a longtime fan as are many of your fans of Last Fuckable Day. Oh yeah. That, that was a big one. <laughs> Which is one of the greats. I think well. that might have been written by Jesse Klein, who I think you've known mm. even longer than me. Jesse is an incredible writer and comic. And I think she pitched it and we had had it on the docket for a couple of seasons. Like we wanted to do it and we couldn't find any actresses who would say yes. They didn't want to be in mm. the scene. And we got a lot of no's. I think it was a situation of like, Tina will do it if Julia will do it and Julia will do it, if Tina will do it and Patricia Arquette, you know, so it was like they put themselves out on a limb and they did it. And it was, you know, a really memorable thing that I think a lot of people saw. Do you have a sense of the sketches that you did on Inside Amy Schumer? Like which one became the most? I don't know the answer to that, but Dan Powell, who was one of the creators with myself and Jesse Klein, he was just telling me that the most watched YouTube clip was of a song parody we did called Milk Milk Lemonade. Yeah, yeah. Right. Compliments was a big one where we show women how they talk about themselves, how they like to say mean things about themselves. Yes, I related to that a lot. And I think one that we did called Football Town Nights, where the, it was like a new college football, it was kind of a Friday Night Lights parody. The wine glasses were. Yeah, the huge epic. wine glasses and the coach was new in town. And the new rule was that the boys weren't allowed to rape. And that was really alarming right. the whole town. And one Aaron Sorkin parody, Food Room, written by Jeremy Byler. I think just not in terms of like the most watched clip necessarily, but the most memed thing in my mind is what you just said about the Friday Night Lights parody, because anytime I'm having a, a glass of wine that's in a large glass, that is immediately what I think. Oh, of. good. <laughs> Were there ever any sketches that you couldn't get on the air that Comedy Central pushed back on? Yes, for sure. But I'm sure with good reason. Comedy Central was such a supportive, great platform. I had no complaints. I mean, some of the marketing meetings maybe could have gone better. <laughs> that's fair enough. It's always hard when the marketing's like, here, this is you, and you're like in a dumpster, and everyone's like taking a dump on you, and you're like, oh, thank you. But yeah, I don't know. I remember one scene, which is called Cat Park, and it was so stupid, and they really weren't into that. And you know, they weren't wrong, but I did push for it to get on the air. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. It was a scene where I was pitching to like this boardroom and it was to build a cat park. So really the exact same thing as a dog park, but 
just call it a cat park and bring your cat. And of course, everybody's cats just ran away. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty worthless. And now we're doing another season of it. And this season, I pitched a scene which John Glazer wrote called Fart Park. So we'll see (laughs) what Comedy Central says about that. It's already funny. (laughs) So stand-up is such a, for the most part, a solitary endeavor. And that's what you had been doing prior to Inside Amy Schumer. And then you get your own show on which you did kind of everything. You know, you wrote, you acted in it, you directed, you produced it on top of managing a large group of people. So what was that transition like for you, Becky? To go from a stand-up to having a TV show? Yeah, with all that responsibility. It was difficult. Like, I'm still navigating it. You know, I feel like there are things I wish I knew back then. Just understanding how vulnerable it is for any for everybody working on the show. You just, everybody's looking to you. When you're at the helm of a show like that, everybody's looking to you to make sure that they feel valued from the craft service people to the locations manager to the writers. And a lot of these writers are incredible and they could have their own shows. And a lot of them are performers and they should have their own shows. And so you're navigating a lot of emotions and people's personal feelings on things. And I think just being really sensitive to that is something that I've grown into more and, you know, being aware of my own defense mechanisms and just navigating all of it. Like we're working on it now and I really have no stress about it in a way where I think I used to feel like I needed to be stressed about it in order for it to be good. While we're on that topic, it's been announced you are bringing the show back. So tell us how that I think it was like a moment where I think Paramount, you know, was like announcing a bunch of new things for people to get excited about that streaming service. And they just, they offered to bring back the show and and shoot just five episodes. And I felt like doing it. Like I just, you know, I haven't wanted to, I don't know if it's because of the political climate or just where I was in my life, but I just hadn't really felt excited about doing that. And then I was. And so it's been incredible. So fun. I was just in the writer's room right before here. Did you pull back most of your old crew for the most part? Yeah. I would say 70% and then some great new writers that I didn't know. Yeah. That's really cool. When will it launch on Paramount Plus? I think not for, not till like December or like, I think it might be like a holiday thing. Yeah. Does doing it this time feel different than when you were doing the show in its original run? Yeah. Just because I feel like an adult now. I mean, (laughs) we were just like, none of us had final draft on our computers. We were just, it was such a ragtag crew. And now most of us are parents. And, you know, have gone on and done other projects. So it's fun to have everybody come back together and want to come back and collaborate. It's really meaningful. How far along with it are you? Are you still in the writing? Yeah, we've been writing for like four weeks. So we have all of the sketches written. And now we're just kind of talking about some interstitial stuff. I mean, once you finish Fart Park, you're kind of done as far as I'm concerned. That's it. That's really a wrap. (laughs) Where, where Where do you go from there? Yeah. You found your voice so early. Do you feel like it has evolved over time and now you're a parent and is has that sort of impacted how you look at your comedy at all? I think so. Yeah. Um, maybe just a little more humane and just the subject matter. <laughs> it was like I was it was about dating and being single and blacking out. And now it's like I'm in bed at 10. And yeah, like I, I do a lot of shows at like 4 p.m. at the Comedy Cellar. Now blacking out from parental exhaustion. (laughs) Exactly. Just the crushing guilt and worry of a child. So I got this information from Doug, which he can uh, tell me if I'm misspeaking or not. But I think you were offered The Daily Show at one point to host that and you you decided not to do it. Right. Why did you decide not to do it? I didn't want to know what I was going to be doing five years from then. I liked that Mm -hmm. I can run around and do a lot of different things. 
Yeah, you would just, I think you had finished Trainwreck, but it hadn't been released yet. Right, that makes sense. It was also, you know, it was a weird time for Comedy Central, but we thought Amy was a was a great idea. And I, I remember we had, we did have a long conversation about it in a casino in uh, Vancouver. <laughs> yes, oh yes. One Sunday afternoon. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Talking about train wreck. So, you know, you, you were doing great with your Comedy Central show. You're getting a lot of attention, a lot of ratings, uh, some Emmy nominations as well. And then the next thing you know, you are writing your own feature film with Judd Apatow. Yeah. Is that insane? Judd heard me on Stern and he just said that I just was interesting to him. And he was like, what if we kept a camera on this person? And I think he thought of it. I, I might be misquoting him, but you know, the best friend in these romantic comedies, like what if they made a movie about the best friend rather than the romantic lead? And then I wrote Trainwreck and I think I'm like a really fast writer. I'll say that about myself. And, you know, a lot of people, it takes them a while to write. And I am real good about getting notes and going and, you know, making revisions and doing it all real quickly. So uh, I think Judd was impressed and surprised because a lot of people, you know, I'm sure you experience this, you give them opportunities and they don't do the most they can with it. So I was like, I'm not going to sleep on this at all. Had you written a feature before that? No. That's fascinating to me because I would think it would be so daunting to go from writing sketches to writing a full-blown two-hour kind of narrative. Yeah, well, you know, Judd was definitely really helpful and a guide. And we we worked on the script really hard for like a year. I learned so much from that process. And it's helped me in every different project, especially just making that show for Hulu. Just that process of really rewriting and trying stuff and playing to actor strengths and leaving yourself free to find other things in the moment. And that kicked off what has become, I think, a pretty cool acting career for you. I think a lot of people would have expected you to continue to make feature film comedies. Uh, and you have done some, mm -hmm. but you have also done dramatic roles. Yeah. And and you've also done Broadway. So talk about oh, acting yeah. a little bit and, and your approach to I've it. I've done some dramas. Like, I'm just very lucky to get some agency, is what my son's teacher would say. Uh, you know, just... <laughs> To be able to navigate and do stuff that I'm going to be proud of that I want to do instead of feeling like I need to be on some predetermined path. And I really love making like a big, dumb comedy. And I also have really enjoy doing dramatic work. So, you know, who knows? Fart park to humans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I saw um, The Humans and, and in my day job for Vulture New York Magazine, I actually reviewed it and I really liked it. And I thought you were terrific in it. Thank you so much. I think people didn't see it. But you saw it, and that means a lot to me. <laughs> and you have, you have something else coming up that I'm sure you would like people to see. Yes. I am preparing to host the Oscars with Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes. That's really exciting. We're having fun planning that. And then I'm going to go on the road a little bit. Oh. So how does that go? Where do you find time to come up with a brand new hour to take out to arenas and theaters and everything you'll be doing? Well, going you know, I've been just making it work. Like I have been going down and trying out my stand up. And a lot of days they'll say that there's a secret lady show at the Comedy Cellar and that'll be a 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. And some people know what that means. And so they go down and it's me working on my hour. You know, I'm going to the cellar tonight. So I've been working on my hour. How many times a week do you go down? Run the hour two or three times a week. And then when uh, when does the tour start? The tour starts the first week in April. So going back to comedy for a sec here, Amy, you know, you mentioned earlier I'm appearing on the Comedy Central Roasts. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think you can do a roast in 2022? And what do you think of what's going on with comedy and culture these days? I think you can't do a roast in 2022. Yeah, I don't think so. Not like a big Comedy Central one, because I think something that we've realized is that some of these jokes can be really harmful and I wouldn't want to do one. I would do one with my friends that wasn't on television, you know, and (laughs) I wouldn't want to do that now because I wouldn't want to hurt anyone's feelings or make like really sexist or racist jokes, knowing that they can be harmful. The way I feel about it is like, I still think what's funny is funny and I'm not bothered by cancel culture or whatever. Like, I think if you're on the right side of history and you're actually trying to educate yourself and evolve, then you should be fine. And I think the people who are worried about that culture are probably problematic. And I know you've only been doing tiny dates at the mm-hmm. cellar to work out your set, but you're, you know, you're in front of an audience, which I'm assuming is the first time in front of an audience in two years or at least a year and a half. So are you feeling anything different? Out I've there? been on the road a little bit. Like I was just doing like shows popping up, opening for Mulaney or Seth Meyers and, and at the cellar. And I think people are still getting their footing on being in public. You know, it's like, we really don't know what's going on with COVID right now. Is this fine? Is this supposed to be the roaring twenties? Are we maybe exposing ourselves? Right. You know, it's so it's just all a little imperfect, but I think people are just kind of getting their footing at this moment. And hopefully by April, when I'm touring, actually more May and June, it'll be a little more clear. And hopefully this summer, we all get to have the summer we were hoping last summer was going to be. Right. I don't know if you feel this way, but I just feel like I forgot how to do like basic things like, oh, I have to be on time. Right. I have to look like somewhat presentable. Oh God. And it just seems like just a huge thing to have to deal with when it was just completely normal. It's huge. I just got dinner with friends for the first time in years and it was like really weird. Have you been super, Mm -hmm. as I like to say, protocol, um, uh, conservative, reformed, or <laughs> um, I would say conservative, you know, we have a two year old, so he's not vaccinated and just went out to dinner for my friend's 40th birthday. So, you know, we're sort of lax enough that we did that at a restaurant. But, you know, when Omicron was like raging, we were pretty locked down again and not taking many risks. But now I'm back going on stage and stuff. So hoping for the best. Here we are. Yeah. Speaking of dinner and food, you did make a return to basic cable with a cooking show with your husband. Yes. Will you do more of those? I think probably not till the next pandemic. <laughs> that was pandemic inspired. Oh, that was the, the Food Network approached us and was like, we nobody can make content right now. Yeah. Can you guys smack up a camera? Could you please come on and cook? Yeah. For us? And we were like, let's do it. It was a blast. So, Amy, you have really at this point, I like to say done it all, but that's, uh, I don't want to say that because you haven't done it all, but you've done <laughs> so many things, right? You've got your own TV series, yeah. films, Broadway, writing, directing, producing, comedy albums. You hosted SNL. You're about to host the Oscars. You've sold out arenas. I mean, it's just been an incredible run. Say it like and that. It sounds pretty good. Yeah. It sounds awesome. <laughs> and you, so you always seem to be challenging yourself, which is great. Is there anything like that you look at and go, I want to try that. I want to do that. I, I need to do that. Next. Get my son to brush his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good experience directing this show and I don't know, I think more directing probably would get myself off camera, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so the directing thing that really appeals to you and you sort of, you know, good fit for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was a natural progression, I think. And I've been digging it. Can you draw a line from Inside Amy Schumer to that? Or some of the things that you picked up on when you were doing that show, things that you're bringing into Life and Beth and and obviously the sketch show again? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
all of these things lend themselves to each other. It's, I have a theater company called The Collective and we started it out of a bunch of us who studied at the William Esper studio, this Meisner intensive. And we would read the scenes and cast them with actors and put them on their feet and play them out and just learned so much doing that. And then while I was pregnant, studied with the chair of the NYU directing grad department and getting the basics on directing helped me so much as an actor and just understand and how to be more efficient and just storytelling. And it just, the more you know about each role, it just helps you more and more be better at you know, in this business in general, like we can only help ourselves by learning each other's jobs better. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, I got I got one last one. For All you, right. <laughs> Do you have an all time favorite cable show? I watch a lot of reality shows. I love like 90 Day Fiance or Love After Lockup, you know, just all the dating shows. Like I just I watch a lot of crap. Yeah, I know this isn't cable. Are you a bachelor person? I am. I'm a bachelor person. I'm just just all of it. I just like to watch TV that stresses me out. Well, Amy, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. We wish you a lot of luck with uh, your new show on Hulu, the Oscars, and everything else coming up. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on stage soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Amy. Um, This was brought to you by Blue Apron. (laughs) 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 All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye. I appreciate it. Bye. So that was a really interesting conversation with Amy Schumer, I thought. Yeah, we should just remind people, Jen, that we recorded this before the Oscars. Yes, that's very important. Uh, we couldn't ask her about anything that happened at the Oscars because it hadn't happened yet. Exactly. Although I feel because like that's uh, how time works. Yeah, I feel like, oh, my God, that could be a whole separate podcast now. Uh, it, potentially it could. It could. Maybe a series. Uh, but it was <laughs> yeah, multi-part series. No, but it was good to talk to her. And, and it was interesting to, you know, just to revisit Inside Amy Schumer and and what a you know, phenomenon that show was, uh, and maybe again, when it comes back, uh, it was, it was kind of a departure for Comedy Central, I think, but you can speak to that better than I can. Yeah, well, it was a departure at the time for Comedy Central. It was a bit of an eye-opener for us. You know, Comedy Central had a very um, young, young adult male audience, which we were super focused on at all times, trying to deliver stuff that we thought, you know, they would like. So examples of that, I think, are, you know, South Park or The Man Show or Workaholics or Tosh.0, stuff like that. And we certainly had a a broad range of things, but we hadn't had a lot of success with female-led programming to date. Now, we didn't try a ton, but we, we, we did have this sense, mostly from the research and our very parochial views of our demographic, that it needed to be sort of guy oriented. Sarah Silverman had a successful show for a bit there. Um, certainly never got to the heights that that Amy did ratings wise um, or honestly, even in, in cultural impact. And then Amy comes along and we, you know, we, we had kind of, you know, developed her, you know, as she talked about, you know, from a stand up through all these stages, getting her to develop her own show. And then we then we put it on. And it became a pretty big ratings hit. And it was a big eye opener for us. And then ultimately led to us finally, you know, putting on something like Broad City. Mm -hmm. It's very funny to me as we have these conversations about, you know, a bunch of different cable shows as we talk to different people that this idea that let's cater to an audience that no one else is catering to white men in a, in a young demographic. It's like, hello. Well, <laughs> there are other, but let's, let's just, to, 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 to be fair, 
Um, in a world before cable, you know, the broadcast networks were trying to reach everybody. Uh, a network like mm -hmm. ESPN was trying to reach men. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure that he actually even wanted young teenagers, you know, necessarily, but they were trying to reach men in general, first and foremost, obviously, you know, women watch sports and are sports fans. But that's a ridiculous, that's, that's a sexist notion right there. What's that? That, that like ESPN would assume because they do sports that only men would be interested. No, no, I'm not saying that. that no, I'm the saying they're they're trying to re, they wanted to start with men. I think that ESPN felt like if we don't have men, then we don't have a network, um, probably. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's probably fair for better or for worse, right? Um, Comedy Central was trying to reach young. Uh, I mean, MTV was trying to reach young people, right, men and women, but within a certain sort of age demographic. You know, the sweet spot I think um, for MTV back in the heyday was you know sort of college age or post college age um, viewer. Uh, and Comedy Central, you know, comedy uh, had long been, you know, sort of, I think people felt like it was a male dominated, like many things, uh, a male dominated genre. And that, like literally everything you're talking about. <laughs> and that guys <laughs> like comedy, uh, my bit, bit defensive here, um, that, that guys like comedy, um, you know, first and foremost. And so, you know, the decision was made, okay, we go after young men. That's, that's, you know, go, go as we, as we used to say, go fishing where the fish are. And so we had a very keen focus right. on men, it did, not to the exclusion of women, because um, we certainly tried things along the way, a lot of different things, um, but nothing but nothing worked. And I have a, a saying that I, you know, kind of use from time to time, which is you can't until you can. So I remember when I when I took over in my very brief cup of coffee uh, career in broadcast television at the Fox Network. I remember when I got there, their whole thing was, we can't launch a comedy. We don't, you know, we can't launch a comedy on this network. And my attitude was, well, you can't until you can, which means you just haven't launched the right comedy. So I think the, I right. think the thing with, you know, with, with Comedy Central and female-led programming is, you know, we had to find the right show at the right time. And the right show at the right time was Amy Schumer. And it was, you know, uh, an eye-opening experience, opened the door for a lot of different stuff that came in its wake, including Broad City. Right. I mean, I guess, I guess my point is the you can't until you can idea, which I completely agree with. I, I think too many people just assumed, as you were just saying, that you can't and, and assumed that you know, they had to get the guys. And so that's why like the default in our culture was, you know, that kind of whatever, like stuff that's supposed to appeal to men. And I think inside Amy Schumer is, was proof, um, even though we didn't need proof that um, men and women will watch a great comedy. Um, it doesn't matter uh, whether it's a woman or a man doing, doing the, uh, leading the show. Um, and I think Amy's specifically was very, uh, a lot of her comedy was very feminist oriented, very blatantly so yes. in a way that I think spoke to women. Um, there was that sketch she did where all these women are on this panel and they just keep saying, I'm sorry and apologizing constantly, which if you're a woman, you that you immediately related to that, you know, last fuckable day, which we talked about with her. My favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that but it, it maybe it it spoke to, to women more keenly, but it was funny no matter what. Well, exactly. And, and that's the other thing at Comedy Central. We would always say funny first. Right. So we didn't you know, we didn't care so much whether it was male or female um, over time. We didn't care as much whether it was black or white, green or yellow, whatever it was. It was funny first. If it's funny, we always felt we had a, you know, a place to start. And Amy is very funny. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, it just, it's frustrating that it, it took that long 
for that wake up call to come. Yeah, I think we had our heads in our ass a little bit in terms of, you know, just being so, <laughs> no, seriously, you know, we were so like, you know, I, I think I've said this before, you know, one of our other, you know, sort of little rules that were, was just dumb was we used to, uh, we wouldn't develop a show that was in a quote family setting because we thought that wasn't cool. We want to reach young people, young men and and it was about their sort of post-college lives more than their, you know, their family life. That being said, a show called Family Guy, which was on TNT, TBS, and Adult Swim, kicked Comedy Central's ass every day for 10 years. And we finally woke up and said, well, what are we, idiots? Why would we cut ourselves off from opportunities to, you know, be funny and grow this network um, with family-oriented shows or, or family-setting shows or female point of view shows or whatever it is. And like I said, it took us a little while to, you know, sort of pull our head out of our, you know what. Mm -hmm. The family thing I can understand though, actually, because that's, Are you anti-family, Jen? Your... I, I hate families. No, um, <laughs> I, I understand it in the sense that comedies on, you know, broadcast networks often were in family settings and that's a way to distinguish yourself from that. It just seemed conventional. Yeah. Yeah. No, that I get. The, the women thing, I'm sorry, I don't, it makes no sense at all. Um, but anyway, back to Amy. <laughs> By the way, you know, just so you should know, uh, you know, Comedy Central, you know, the president of Comedy Central for many years was a woman named Michelle Gainless. So, um, you know, we mm -hmm. had, you know, Comedy Central was not a, it wasn't the Harvard Lampoon, a bunch of guys sitting right. around. You know, we had a pretty, in that regard, um, uh, we had a pretty, you know, sort of uh, uh, gender uh, diverse staff. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, that's an interesting fact as well, I think. But yeah, Amy, Amy's show made a huge impact and, and I'm glad that you did green light it and, and saw that you did, you could do a show like that and that it would have the appeal that it did. Yeah, it was a big, big, big moment for Comedy Central, big moment for Amy. And hopefully you guys had a lot of fun listening to this. Um, we hope you'll be back with us next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Chaney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't, Don't forget, forget to follow the show, the show so you, you never miss an that. episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.